Welcome to Extra Musical, the podcast where we delve into the lives, thoughts, creative process, and hobbies of musicians and other creative artists. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, visit www.hiddencinemarecords.com slash podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast and everything else going on at HCR, become a patron at www.patreon.com slash hiddencinemarecords. Today, we're joined by Dan Bruce. He's an Ohio-based guitarist and composer. He's a transplant there after spending a decade as an important member of Chicago's jazz community. He's active throughout the Midwest and nationally as a performer, recording artist, composer, and educator. He's performed on more than 40 albums as a sideman and has released four albums as leader. As a performer and recording artist, Bruce has had the opportunity to work with a number of eminent musicians, including Seamus Blake, Ali Jackson, Jamie Haddad, Dan Wall, Lynn Seaton, the Cleveland Jazz Orchestra, and Marquise Hill. You can read more about him via our show notes, but let's get to the interview. Hey, everyone. We're sitting down with Dan Bruce. You just heard a little bit about him in the intro. Uh, Hi, Dan. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, So me and Dan have played together uh, several times over the past couple of years, and uh, we know each other, but the listeners don't know you, or they do. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) What's your story? Like, what do you do? Who are you? Where are you based? Like... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. So I don't know how many people <laughs> don't, don't already know me. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, let's, we'll play that game. Yeah. Yeah. So, just in case uh, they don't know. Yeah. I, I'm based in Cleveland, so I'm pretty much Midwest United States regional. Is this going to be so bad I, if I make no, you laugh? This is uh, awesome. No. I'm, this is this is the mood for the most of it. I just Good. it was the it was the I'm kind of a big deal that kind of sent me. <laughs> what do you, what do you do for the people who the ignorant ones out there, the ones who don't know Dan Bruce? Yeah. You don't know Dan Bruce. I remember getting vibed like that in college all the time because I didn't listen to jazz before I went to jazz mm-hmm. school. That's 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 jazz school, right? You find some name or you make up a name. They'd you haven't like, heard Squiggly McAdams from those like <laughs> prestige recordings, dude. He was in the Third Miles Quintet. You haven't heard of the Third Miles Quintet? <laughs> you call yourself a jazz fan? Yeah, you got to look it up. It's in his bio. So <laughs> you play guitar, right? That's a thing you do. I do play guitar. Yes. Yeah. What a, and, you, and you and you write music. <laughs> I do write music. I try and do both those things. Yeah, so Dan's a great um, Dan's a great uh, guitar player and composer. Um, I got into his music, I think uh, maybe 2018, 2019. Um, I'm trying to remember when the first, when Earthshine came out. I think it was a little bit before that. Yeah, it might um, have been like 2017. Yeah, but then I got Earthshine on Bandcamp like a, a year or two later and was like, oh man, who's this Dan Bruce guy? This is killing. And I believe there was like a quartet album you, Brad, um, Aiden, and Dustin did together. Maybe it wasn't Brad. It was a... Was it the... Was it um that like a f- off, off-brand thing, that album? Yeah, I don't remember what it was called, but I know you guys had a... Um, it, you, it had its own name, like a something quartet. Yeah. I th- the one we did more recently was with this guitarist, Dan LaPelle from New York. 
So phenomenal mm-hmm. guitarist, mostly classical, nylon string. And uh, it was a mix. Uh, and it was uh, Chris Anderson was playing trombone, and then Noah Evan was playing saxophone. Nathan Dowds oh. was on drums. Yeah. Do you know what him? album is that? No, I met him the other month. Oh, yeah. I came and saw yeah. you guys, you and um, Jason oh, Kush yeah, on, that gr- yeah. on a gig. Uh, yeah, that was a great gig. And Aiden was on that. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was the group. And it was a it was an interesting mix of jazz people and like classical, like new music people. Yeah. So the 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 album goes between these tunes that are kind of like ECM-ish kind of vibe jazz and kind of free jazz, and then like pretty in your face, like new music kind of out stuff. But it was oh, a lot of interesting. Fun. Yeah, What's was, that called? Was, I don't I don't I don't have that. God, it's called um the name of the album is Off Brand. The name of the band was, uh, man, I'm forgetting it right now. It's, uh, I think it was just called the Collage Project or the Collage, the collage Project. Okay. I think it's Collage um, Project. Noah is out my way. I've never met her though. Uh, yeah. I like, yeah, we've never like crossed paths, but she's out like maybe like two hours north of me at Rowan. Oh, right yeah. Now. Like Rowan. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm like two hours south of Philly. Um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, Dan is this wonderful composer. His um, Beta Collective uh, Earthshine album is what got int- introduced to his music. And then since then, we've collaborated on um, a couple of things. But, like, for the listeners, how did you get your start in what you do? Like, take us through the life of, like, early Dan. Like, early? Yeah, I uh, mean, like, early Dan. And not, not like, I learned to walk because, you know. Yeah. Hopefully. Because I, I haven't yet. But, uh <laughs> Uh, I was like, you know, I, 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 my mom was a concert pianist for a while while I was a young kid. So I do have memories of like, I would get, she had a grand piano and I would just get underneath it while she was playing. And, uh, she played, uh, it was a lot of classical, mostly classical, but some ragtime and stuff. And I, I don't think I was necessarily that excited about the music, but I just liked the sound, you know? And then, um, I was like 11 and we lived in Seattle for like five or six years uh, up until like maybe I was in eighth grade and a neighbor had an electric guitar and his dad had like rigged this stereo and like turned it into an amplifier. It was just like this crappy old stereo (laughs) something or other. I don't know, made an amplifier basically. And I just loved uh, the guitar I don't think it was ever in tune, but I just loved how loud it was. It just sounded cool to me. So I did a bunch of chores and got like 30 bucks and bought it off him. And then I would just play around on that thing. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I, I don't think it was ever in tune or anything. Um, and then eventually I got an acoustic guitar. And eventually I got like an actual electric guitar that would stay in tune and stuff probably when I was... 13 maybe um and then it was all ear like i just you know early on i was listening to all those like yeah. hair bands like rock, rock bands in the 80s and 90s so i was just like figuring out like white snake songs and, <laughs> and like, kiss and stuff like that like all these terrible like hair bands uh but i was figuring out the solos and everything just by ear um, and eventually just did like lessons at a music store and just kind of went that way and never, uh, you know, you, 
it's hard with guitar because you can't really do anything in school. So you're yeah. kind of le- left up to like whoever you get at the local music store, what they're going to teach you. And not that I was really asking for theory or anything, but, you know, I think I think a lot of times that's just why guitarists are like the last people that can read or uh, just have some of these built in musical things that everybody else takes for granted. So I was just doing that for a number of years. And then um, I remember then my parents moved back to Dayton, Ohio. And in like I was in like eighth grade or something and these high school kids wanted me to be in their like garage band and we just played led zeppelin songs and stuff and it was great i thought it was awesome and then we would play at some random local really small things and then um then other people asked me to be in their bands and again i thought it was cool because i was hanging out with like seniors and i was like yeah eighth grader oh, so you um, could hang yeah to some degree that's pretty cool yeah um and uh, the school had this big, like, Battle of the Bands, you know, or talent show that became virtually a Battle of the Bands and just big deal thing at this little high school. But then um, eventually some of the other guys that were in the same boat, we kind of formed a band probably like 11th grade or something and just started writing a, a ton of music. And at this point, this was more like jam band. Like we, this was like, we used to like, like I used to like go follow the grateful dead around and stuff. And, uh, Oh yeah. You were a deadhead or are a deadhead. Was. Okay. Was. Was. Okay. It's one of those, I mean, I'm nostalgic about it and there's, although now I can only listen to like two of their studio albums where I think they used a lot of pitch correcting. Cause, uh, anything live is like, man, these people cannot sing. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what was going on, but uh, <laughs> hot takes on extra musical. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I just don't, I don't, I've never, um, I'm sorry to any deadhead. I've never consciously listened to a Grateful Dead song and known it was Grateful yeah. Dead. So I've known what, like, what are some Grateful Dead songs? Cause usually when people are like, you've listened to them and they mention like three songs, I'm like, oh yes, I have. I guess I oh, have like something you would have heard. I yeah. Mean, it wasn't really played much on the radio. There's like, um, I'm probably not even going to remember the names of this. I mean, there's like Casey Jones, the thing about like driving that train high on cocaine. The only Casey Jones I know is from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, bro. Like, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> driving that train okay. high on cocaine. You should yeah. be driving a train. This makes- I know. Okay. Much less all doing right. cocaine if you're an engineer. I yeah. Think. That's a, yeah. All these things. Yeah. <laughs> you should, my first thing was you shouldn't drive that train. You sit down. <laughs> You're like, maybe don't do the cocaine. No, that's a good point. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I will say like, and I, I say that jokingly, like they, they have some good stuff. Um, honestly, it's just like they would try and sing in four part harmony. And it was just like oh, a bunch just of dudes like... with no training. Just be like, ah, ah, and it's like four. And you're just like, this is not really. But at the time it was like, oh, this is great. Whatever. But I, who it, did it carry was... on my wayward son? That's, um. That's like Boston or one of those bands. Night Ranger. I don't remember what, but they can sing in harmony, man. Yes. That's a, that I think of that when I'm like, Oh, a band singing in harmony. Yeah. Hell yeah. Although Uh, I've never heard them live. I always wonder, is that the album? Yeah. Um, but I will say it was one of the first, it, it was one of the first kind of rock bands that got me into the idea of improvising. 
Yeah. Because they would put huge solos in their in their music and 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 kind of do some like group improvisation and it would sometimes go free. And I was unaware of that at all. So it was kind of cool that it started leading me down that path. And then there was like fish and some of that stuff. Uh some of those later jam bands. So then we all just started trying to write music that was like that. And the so, band good. Oh sorry, it was just like this natural transition from hair band not heavy metal but like classic rock into jam band and improvisation seemed like it yeah yeah Yeah. and then just writing original music that was still coming out of like jam band stuff but um just learning from that because we would just write stuff and then i wouldn't know how to solo over it but i would just use my ears and just keep trying to figure out how to solo over it yeah and then something would work um and then um we actually did pretty for a bunch of high school kids we st- the other cool thing about Dayton and maybe my parents or some of the group of parents that we were around is I started getting to like go hang out in downtown Dayton at clubs and either like I don't know if people weren't checking IDs or sometimes my parents would have to come but sometimes I could just get in and then they got to where they knew me and I started getting to play with all these older musicians in Dayton. And there were some oh, wow. like pretty amazing like singer songwriters. And, you know, this was like the crowd of like, you heard that band like Guided by Voices and stuff like that. Uh, so, no. What? No. God. Steven. Yeah, man. I got <laughs> no, to them. <laughs> not really. But I mean, there, there are some pretty big bands that came out of Dayton. And these were like all these people that were hanging out with all those people. And uh, so I started. And then some of them started asking us to play on their records. So I was like in like 10th or 11th grade and getting to go and do these like studio you know things oh, that's pretty dope I, that's like yeah no I yeah that's it was formative pretty, i thought it was pretty amazing and um so then uh i went to college not for music at all went to ohio university for i didn't really declare a major and i just did i did english philosophy and psychology and i ignored my I had like a count, you know, those people counselors to tell you what you should do and do the one-on-ones and blah, blah, blah. I just picked those three things and I got as far as I could get in those things, ignoring any graduate <laughs> on time or anything. Yeah. You would get so mad at me because I was in like graduate level philosophy courses, but I hadn't done any of the freshman stuff that you need to do to, to graduate or whatever. Um, I didn't know you could like not listen to them. You know, I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, once I took the 101 in philosophy, then then it let me sign up for 200 and 300. And yeah, right. <laughs> it was So I was in these, like, really small things with six other people where we spent a semester dissecting, like, Plato's forms with, like, this brilliant, ridiculous philosopher guy. And I was, like, 18. <laughs> I was just like, great, man. Um, then, I, uh, then I dropped out of college. And uh, drove west because I was reading a bunch of beatnik novels and I was like, I'm doing this. And uh, to sum that up very quickly, that was that was that was the Grand Canyon job we were talking about. <laughs> I bummed around. I had a bunch of friends all over. So I just like bummed around, went to Colorado. I would just do random stuff. I got paid for a while to make. I was living with a bunch of hippies for a minute and they would pay me to um they let me stay there for free and pay me a little bit to help them make these candles that again, were like, they would sell them at grateful dead shows. 
Um, so <laughs> Everything comes back to the dead. It, it does, yeah. Then, <laughs> then uh, Grand Canyon, then L.A., and L.A. was rough, and I was in a pretty bad neighborhood sharing, like, a room in a house with, like, six other people that were kind of crazy. And I was working at a Blockbuster video, so while it might sound like I had made it, I still felt like I could maybe push for more. So... <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking, guys. I know what you're thinking. He's yeah. living the high life. No, no, you're thinking, what was Blockbuster Video? <laughs> how, how, yeah, how, how old is this guy? <laughs> There's at least um, one 14 year old who's like, Blockbuster, Blockbuster. I don't say Siri. Oh, actually, yeah. no. I, Siri, don't respond. Sorry, my Siri yeah. really responded. <laughs> um, and then my van broke. I was living, I mean, I, I had a van that I lived in for a good part of that time, like a huge Chevy van, and I could put a bed in the back. And so for a while there, I would just like sleep in the parking lots of hotels because no one would bug your, your car. And then yeah. I would go and get like Hormel chili and hot sauce. And I had like a propane cooking thing, and I would just cook. And I'd go hang out on the beach with like homeless dudes. And uh, I had some friends that I, I used as my address when I applied for jobs. It was so that, literally, job. I was just like, how do you do taxes when you're like, do when you're driving around? I, I didn't. I mean, when I eventually got the job, I did. But, you know, uh, and then my van broke down and it just got to where I couldn't afford it. So I, I, I went home. Uh, so then I... Went back to OU, but was practicing guitar more than I was doing any other schoolwork. So I kind of decided, like, I just, I probably should just go into guitar. Because it wasn't like by getting out of philosophy, I was turning my back on, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so it wasn't that hard of a call to make to my parents and be like, I think I'm going to ditch philosophy and go into guitar. Um, and then uh, OU didn't really have a... a uh, much of a music program or really a jazz program at that point. They had some, but not, not much. So I had a friend at Bowling Green, Ohio. Oh yeah. And yeah. again, all my friends were like rock guys, but he was like, there's, I think there's like a jazz program there. So I just like applied without knowing anything. And it was pretty hilarious. I went up and I, I, you know, I was like, and again, like you're, you're, when you, when you interact with music school and you're not in the know, it's like, they tend to not help you out a lot. So I called somebody and was like, Hey, I'm getting ready for this uh, audition. Like, what do I need? He's like, you need a real book. And I was like, okay. So I'm like going around to stores. Like I need a real book. I need a real book. <laughs> like, and no one, I, I just had no idea what that was. And, you know, and I had to work pretty hard. And I finally found this music store at OU with this guy that knew what I was talking about. And I started taking some lessons with him really just like the month before my audition. Mm -hmm. And he just had me learn a couple tunes and he basically like, and you know, I couldn't read music. I didn't know any of the chord symbols. So it was just kind of learning the chord symbols. He had me do kind of a solo arrangement of something, but he just kind of taught it to me, just like showing it to me. And I learned it. So it was kind of hilarious going there. I played some of my stuff for him. And then they were like, well, okay, what you played there. Can you tell me what that is? And I was like, you mean like the name of the song? And they were like, no, like, what is that? chord or what scale are you using and i was like no <laughs> i can't and then they had me like play some they were like well play me a scale you know and i played this scale they're like what it what what do you call that i said i don't call it anything they were like well what do you how do you know what to do and i said well 
if my band plays a minor song, I use this when I solo. And they were just kind of like, so they, they, they finally were like, well, we're going to let you in, but you're either going to have to like work your ass off or you're going to fail out, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and it was good. So I, I did. And, uh, I just worked like crazy for, I mean, when I was there, I was essentially already like a junior in college. So I really was only there for like two and a half years and just worked my butt off. And, um, it was really good for me. It was kind of a conservative program, but it was really like, you should know the foundations. It was really big on the foundations. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, that was a very roundabout path to get to Bowling Green. And yeah. like the, I mean, cause like most of the people I've talked to on this before, it's like, what's your story? They're like, oh yeah, you know, I got into music when I was in elementary school, they showed me my instrument. And then, uh, you know, 10 years later, I was in college for music and then I graduated and that was it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's their path. So yeah. for, that was a very, that was a very serpentine path. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I, when I'm, when I'm still screwing up your music, just you know, <laughs> realize I was like 20 when I first like knew like every good boy does fine. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'm still screwing up your music. So, oh. but yeah. And, and it, it was kind of crazy. Cause then that, the, the guys that got me up to Bowling Green were some of the same guys that um, I had been in that band with in high school. And so we kind of started up that band again and it, and it did really well. Like it was funny. We would tour like the East coast and stuff and do all college campuses and stuff. And like, get like, you know, uh, my joke with my wife is I would come through tour cause she was, we met at OU, but then, you know, I left and, uh, but like a couple of years later, she, you know, she's still there and I'm like touring with this band and I'd show up there and like, there'd be a packed house and she'd see me up on stage, you know? And she's like, that's when you played music that people liked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Like, I get that joke. Oh, yeah. oh, Colleen going straight for the heart. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, I got her to fall for me when it was like a room full of people like he's rocking out. And now it's like, I'm in the corner of a restaurant and they're like, excuse me. Can, can you, you turn, turn it down? It down? We're, we're trying to yeah. have a conversation. Can is it is there any way you can play quieter? Yeah. Can you unplug, please? Uh, there's there's not a word for how much less I could care about what you're doing over there. <laughs> so <laughs> I love those background music gigs where you're just like, uh, I don't exist right now. Like yeah. I could literally hold out one note and yeah. no one would know. Yes. What I want to do, and I think it would probably have to be through like the, the musicians union or some artist union or something, is start working towards a, a place where you could just sub out to anybody in the fine arts for a gig. Because <laughs> like, I just think that would be like amazing if there was like... Like have like a sculptor they, do your gig? <laughs> yes, or like spoken word or like basket weaving i don't know yeah I think it would make it so much more interesting because no one cares like just send send whoever right. in there like it's different if like they're coming under the guys they're like oh i'm gonna go see dan versus beta collective this is like the, the thing i'm gonna go see versus like i came to have a dinner and he is playing too loud what is yeah. this what is this noise that i'm listening to just play yeah. the melody yeah <laughs> i don't even know what song this is <laughs> yeah oh god so <laughs> Thank you.
undergrad, so I was still touring with this rock band and felt like that was going great, but then still trying to like actually learn music. And I was, I was still the, some of the stuff that uh, haunts me a little still is I, I, I was, you know, I see these kids all the time. I was still kind of like, Oh yeah, there's this jazz stuff and I'm kind of learning it, but, but mostly I'm doing it just to make, make myself a better rock player. So it's like, I didn't really buy into it even at first. And, and, um, which is looking back on it too bad. Cause you know, I just, I, I could have done more, but, uh, you know, whatever, but the bass player in the band, we'd go on these tours and all the bass player wanted to do was get me into jazz. So he'd like the whole drive there, he'd be playing like Charles Mingus and just be like, isn't this incredible? And I'd be like, I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> like, I don't even know, like, where's the chorus, you know, or just like, I just, I had no, like most people, you know, I just had no yeah. frame of reference for jazz and he'd play miles and all this stuff. And I just did not like it. And then he finally started playing like some John Abercrombie albums. Oh yeah. Maybe some later miles with like McLaughlin on it. And suddenly the stuff had more of a backbeat that I could latch on to. Yeah. The genres, man. Yeah. And there was like, distorted guitar and i was like wait this is starting to sound more like what i wanted to do Did he play wasco doing stuff at that time or yeah to some degree yeah. i yeah um but I, I, that was kind of the first thing that hit me like oh this is really pretty cool and i finally started checking it out and then i started listening to what my teachers were telling me and you're like um, oh this stuff yeah and then you realize oh there's like you know hundreds of years of amazing stuff i need to try and dig into now yeah, so. I feel I feel like that was my in to jazz was vocal jazz mm. uh, and just listening to singers and stuff. So when it came to instrumental jazz, I was like, whatever. Uh, and then some dude was like, transcribe the soul on your tenor. Because I would like improvise, but I would it would be mostly by ear. I was like, I knew what the key was and I knew where I was. But if it had anything chromatic at all, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, but so like I, the same thing, I got into that. And then I like heard some tenor saxophones that I like, I was like, oh, that sounds cool. And then you'd be like, oh, wait, there's a whole list of things that come before that. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm still like such a, an ardent practicer. And I think I've always, I read something recently about imposter syndrome, which was mostly talking about women dealing with it, which I understand. But uh, they were saying like artists have it a lot as well. And and they were actually saying it can be a really good thing. And I kind of think that some of it is like, I still feel kind of like an outsider. I just still feel like I'm playing catch up. Yeah. So it's like, because coming into it that late and then also not really like, it was probably after I was done with grad school that I started really seriously listening to bebop. You know? Sorry. No. <laughs> that was beautiful. That was <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so like now it's, it's like every other solo I transcribe now, I try and make it like a Charlie Parker solo or something. Cause I feel like I just, I didn't dig into that stuff. And while that's not my aim, it's taken me a really long time to, to realize, like I hear people that you would maybe say are very modern or whatever, but then I hear that in there. 
Yeah. And then I feel like I'm lacking that to some degree or, I mean, you know, we all come to it in our own way, but now, now it's like, I'm trying to get back to that. So it's like some of it, I think one of your, one of your questions was like, what would you tell yourself as you were younger? Yeah. Yeah. Like, one of the questions that, that I usually ask towards the end is like, what would you tell you if you yeah. were telling, talking to your younger self or you're talking to someone to, that wants to get to do with what you're doing, what would you tell them? Yeah. And so, you know, we can get more into that, but, but I, I you know, some of it is just like, and it's hard because I think most people are not ready to hear that when you're, because I'm teaching kids now and saying that. And it's like, well, well sure, I mean, whatever, but, you know. It's kind of crazy because, like, you're, quote, done with college when you're, like, 22. And, like, I feel like in some degrees or some fields, they're like, yeah, I'm done learning. I just do the job now. And, like, in music and creative work in general, or, I mean, in everything, I just don't feel like you should be done learning or feel like you're you're even close to the precipice of, I don't know, yeah. nirvana. Yeah, exactly. Like, what? I mean, I think part of the what can be frustrating but also amazing is, like, it's lifelong. Yeah. Just as long as you can play. And that's really right. cool. And then sometimes it's like, oh, God. Like, <laughs> I'm can I just, just be a master yet? Can yeah, I just... like... <laughs> But I do feel like in the last few years, I really hit on like some, like, I feel like I'm way better at practicing than I used to be. Mm. And then that, that is really fun. Cause I feel like I really, I really kind of know what I want to do. And also like, I'm old enough now that I don't really care about what I think I should do. I'm just yeah. doing what I want to do. Whereas I think it takes a long time to get out of that school mentality of like, oh, I should do this. Well, how do you like balance being like an ardent practicer with like a family and kids? Because you, he, the, for the listeners, he's got a wife and three kids. <laughs> so I don't know why I'm doing that voice. I call it my that New York voice. But then a student one day said I sound like Coach Steve from a show called, uh, oh, what? I forgot the name of that show. Anyways, I don't like the voice anymore. But, like, how do you balance that? Uh, I mean, the short answer is you don't. But uh, I think, um, you know, it's – I think everybody has to find their thing. Um, I'm, I'm really lucky right now in that – and I, I like being pretty transparent about this. Like, my wife has a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. you know, and not that it's like totally taking care of me. Like I need to do a lot of stuff as well, but like it affords me a certain amount of leeway that I wouldn't have on my own right now for my bills. Yeah. So like for me teaching three full days and then gigging a lot, I'm doing well enough that I'm good. So, um, you know, my teaching schedule right now is Monday through Wednesday and those are pretty full days. Like I'll do, I'll do, uh, the college thing from like, I think I generally teach from like 10 to three with some breaks in there a little bit, but not, you know, and then, and then I'll have some students that come to my house or something in the evening mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, but then I have Thursday, Friday off. And unless I'm traveling to play or something like I just practice all day those days. And, oh, that's so um, great. And then I, I, when I'm on it, which it, every week ends up being different. I will get up early. So I have to, you know, I have to get my kids, my kids get up at like seven, seven thirty for school. 
if I'm on it, I will get up by 5.30 or 6 and have at least an hour in before they get up. Oh, wow. And, yeah. then I'll, and then I drop them at school and I go straight to the college I teach at, even if I don't have to, because then usually I have at least an hour there before I start teaching. So I just built that into my schedule. And then for me, it's like, I want three hours a day to feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, not if I get three hours a day and then on the weekend, I don't get much. I still feel pretty good if I get, if I get five days a week or six days of three hours. Um, and so then just fitting in an hour before or after dinner, if it's not a crazy day is usually not terrible. And then again, my wife is super cool. And like on Saturdays, she'll be like, what, what do you need to do on Saturday afternoon? Or, you know, um, even when I have gigs all weekend. So she's very cool like that. And, and at the same time, like I, I'm not in a place where I have to get a full-time day job or so it's like, I have some of that leeway and then I still just have to be really vigilant about using it. Yeah. I mean, cause you could have that leeway and literally just like not do anything with it. So it really does take absolutely like a certain level of discipline to go, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to do this, um, yeah. uh, create a schedule for yourself. Cause I mean, like what you just laid out is like, this is the schedule that I impose on myself so that I don't just look around and go, Oh, there went my day. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. Like I, um, uh, I remember years ago posting on Facebook, like, only people with like newborns would ever find out that they're actually like super focused at like 5am, you know? Cause like uh, back when the kids were younger and like dealing with like nap schedules and like, cause that's like, my kids are old enough yeah. now that I can practice when they're in the house and they don't, they don't destroy it. So that's right. another thing that's like beautiful. Whereas like, even like three or four years ago, it was really hard to get uninterrupted time. Like it took a lot more. Um, but, um, even when they were babies, like if they'd get up at four in the morning or whatever and be up for an hour and then go back to bed. And I was like, well, I'm just, I'm I'm not a morning person at all. I hate the morning, but then if I'm (laughs) up long enough to like do it, I am way more focused than, than, than any other time of day. And like, that's a big thing I try and work on with my students, like figure out your time of day. Cause I know some people that have no problem going to like 2 a.m., and I've learned for me, especially as I've gotten older, but even, I think most most of my life, like the best thing for me, like that Thursday and Friday, if I'm not teaching, if I can get three or four hours in before noon, that is my, that is the best use of that time I will get. Yeah. And even if I get it in later, it'll be good, but I won't be as focused. I won't be as efficient. And I really can tell that now. Yeah. I really know that. So at the same time, you know, if I – there's a lot of weeknights that end up having gigs that go late and then I'm not getting up early that next day. Yeah. So it's like, it's malleable. Yeah. Right. It's not necessarily this concrete thing, but like it's this expectation or not this hope or expectation that you can get the amount of time to exercise those, those musical muscles that you're like looking for. So like, when do you write the stuff that you write? Because that's, that's a little confusing to me. Like you seem like you, you're very practice focused. Like, when it came to uh, time to mind the mystics, how did you get, when did you get all that music together? Was it like a quarantine thing? Not was, saying that you only write, write over quarantine, but like, no, I had it before. Cause we were supposed to go into the studio like March of 
you know, 2020. Oh man. You, so, you're like the third person. To yeah. say that. So we just sat on that album. That's why there's so many synthesizers and stuff. Cause I just kept adding to it. I was like, <laughs> it's becoming my like pet sounds Yeah, where I'm just going to have like 1500 things on it. You, you um, should add, add like every instrumental credit to you. Don't put synths, but like every specific patch you use. Oh yeah. Afterwards. Yeah. yeah. It's like Dan Bruce on guitar and list your whole pedal board and every synth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love it when people say they play pedals. I play pedals. I put that on. Um, I do put that in everyone's credits when they do put pedals. Nice. I mean, I it, it, there's a, there's something to it. You can be good with pedals and not good with pedals, but it's funny. I'm not um, good with pedals. Uh, what were we saying? Oh no. <laughs> what were we saying? Oh, writing. Uh, writing. Yeah. From, uh, I have yet, and this is something I'm I'm in awe of people that do this. For me, it it's like phases. Like I I love playing my own music and I love writing music and all of that, but it is painful. I hate the process, at least for me. And it's never been easy or quick. Mm. And I have to almost like get myself psyched up to do it. And then a lot of times after I put out an album, I just go back to just trying to practice being a good guitarist for like a while. Yeah. Cause I just don't. And there's even been like, like, a like lately I've, I'm involved in this composers group where we try and compose stuff monthly. It's got like a residency. And oh, the one at the bop stop. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've gotten some commissions for things and I'll take them and I'll do them. And I feel like they're making me better at like deadline writing. But um, with my own music, it is just painful. And and I've also found that I can't. I do the thing that like everybody kind of says where I'll write a little bit every day. I'll just mm-hmm. do it. And I guess to be clear, if I'm trying to write, I start doing that. Like right now, I'm just practicing guitar. I'm not trying yeah. to write anything right now. Um, but if I'm trying to write, I'll start doing that. Cause I feel like it takes me a week or two of doing that for my, for me to get back into like wrote writing mode. And then things will start to come to me and I'll start like making notes on my phone or singing into my phone and be like, yeah. okay, like I'm starting to like hear stuff, but it takes me like a week of forcing it just like little phrase things or something to get that started. Um, and then if I get to where like starting to try and develop one of those things starts actually going, I have to like shelf anything else I'm doing. So like if I'm writing a lot, I'm not Uh, practicing at all. Yes. No, it takes over. Like then the only stuff I'm practicing then is like music. I have to learn for gigs right then Mm -hmm. or something, but I'm not not like technique and not like transcription. And it it like has to take over because it's, I've also learned that when I get going, I just don't want to stop. And, and I'm not good at putting it down and coming back to it. Like so I have kind a, of get into I like a, a writing season. I do. And, and then I, and then I'm in that mode. And a lot of times that that happens until there's an album worth of things, or I might do two or three of them in a year and then be like, Oh, I have like an album's worth of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even, you know, my band will tell you, like, I am workshopping the hell out of it, even when I'm bringing it to the band, because it still usually needs to be edited like crazy. Or, you know, I just still, I'm still pretty terrible at, like, hearing horn voicings on finale 
and having any idea what they're really going to sound like in real life. So it's like, yeah, you know, a lot of that. our, yeah, a lot, a lot of our first things of a new tune is me just sitting there with notes, just like writing all the stuff I need to change. You are really meticulous about, uh, one of the things I really appreciate about like going into the studio with you is that you're extremely meticulous about listening back to yourself and how you fit in everything. And then literally writing down exactly what you think so that you have the, the blow by below. Um, I remember when we were doing the the big band album, you came back with notes about your solo and you're like, yeah, and this song, blah, blah, blah. While everyone else is just like, cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've been in, a, there was, I think I learned that in Chicago. There were a bunch of guys in Chicago that had just recorded so much that I was in some sessions where initially I was the only one not taking notes. And I was like, Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I should and, do and that. Especially if we're doing like multiple takes or multiple mm-hmm. takes of sections. I feel like it's also helpful to the band leader. Cause by the time it you was, get done with it, all that, if you're like, well, we're going to use this from this and this from this and this from this for me to be able to be like, if there's any chance, my best version is here. But if you use take four, I know I screwed up this and this like, yeah, it's it's because I think also being a band leader is like I, it was hard to if you don't have somebody producing that's really catching all that stuff it's really hard to keep all that on your it mind. is yeah um, if you don't have anyone in the stu- in the booth doing uh doing that for you that 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 is my least favorite thing is going back to do it later and no- yeah. noticing that you missed stuff or like yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. that was an interesting habit that you guys do in Chicago or did in Chicago. Um, what's one thing about your, like, artistic life that you, uh, didn't expect? Once you, once you got into it, I mean, like, after your, after your, like, windy path. (laughs) Um, I don't know if it's that I didn't expect it, but I feel like I'm very lucky and I guess I'd say blessed. I don't know. Hashtag blast. Yeah, I don't really want to say it. that word is ruined now. Hashtag blast. Yeah. Prayer hands. I'm so blessed. And now let me talk about all the great things I've done. But it's not bragging because I started by saying blessed. Right. Um, but okay, so yeah, let's kill that. Uh, I guess um, that I've that I'm still able to be very artistic now and creative and put most of my time into getting better at music uh, and then still have like a pretty normal life. Like, yeah. uh, um, you know, kids and, and, and I think pretty balanced. I kind of just assumed I was going to just be broke the rest of my life and like just be playing gigs. And, you know, like when I first got out of school, I was, I was just playing gigs to make rent and it was so stressful. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I kind of learned pretty quickly. I don't necessarily have the personality for that. And then also just hanging out with all the old people on the scene. A lot of the ones that were like amazing musicians and great, but like they were so dark and jaded yeah. and just like, and then I'd think like, well, this guy's amazing and he's like my hero I'm pretty sure he just goes home to an apartment by himself and like, that's it. So I think part of what I did was like actively try and make it work out so that I was, and it's funny. Cause then like also from where I sit, I'm jealous of that sometimes. Like 
I wish I could just pick up and go, or I wish I could, I didn't have the responsibilities sometimes, but at the same time, like I'm so spoiled right now. Like, you know, between a few of the projects, I mean, I'm telling my wife, like, um, I'm gone for like two or three weeks in February. Is that cool? And she's like, yeah, we'll figure it out. (laughs) It's like, sweet. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean, that's the life of a, of a, of a musician. And like, you have to do that. So, I mean, like it's part of your job, but at the same time, it's, it's nice to have the life that you have and a supportive partner that like helps you balance it. Like it it would be impossible to do it by yourself. Like imagine being like a single dad and then (laughs) needing to go on tour. No, she, uh, uh, she, I mean, she goes out of town for work a lot too. And, and this, like, I think two weeks ago, I, I was single dad with three kids. Mm -hmm. School had just started. So it was my first week teaching. I got last minute. Are you going to keep doing that? Is I'm going to keep really? doing that. Yeah. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's super, it's really professional. It's I mean, your podcast, man. You can kind of your, That should be like, it's my podcast, man. Yeah. It's our podcast friends. That should be it's, like your tagline. Like the first thing should be you blowing your nose. Just a listener. Just a warning to all listeners. There is going to be gratuitous yeah. nose blowing throughout this episode <laughs> because 30 minutes before uh, this podcast recording, Stephen woke up and was like, I don't feel good, but we're, we're doing it, baby. Oh man. Really? You're not feeling good. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't think I'm going to take a sick day tomorrow, but I'm thinking about it. I, I'm saying this, the listeners aren't going to hear this for literally two months. Yeah. When we're recording this, I, then you will have lost that job. Yeah. But... It's fun. <laughs> oh my god! No, no. Well, they can't fire me. Um, they can. They absolutely can. But oh, but I had um, I had a bunch of last minute calls that I really wanted to take. So but it was you like, no, I did. Oh, and it, it was it was ridiculous. Like you know, between babysitters and you know, my my oldest is thirteen now, so he can kind of watch the kids. If oh, he's legally old enough to watch long. the children. Yeah, I didn't know there was even a law. Is there there no. there's like a legal age limit for how old you have to be to be left alone, and then to be old enough to watch ch- other children. Yeah, see, yeah, they so should be- tell parents those things yeah like as teachers we have to know because there's like your parents left you like if my wife's oh, children report on them yeah, yeah. we yeah because we're narcs we exactly. gotta be you are we're legal you are. we're mandate mandated reporters bro no, sometimes those kids be like going off and you're like hey 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 just so yeah. you know yeah yeah you gotta tell somebody about what you just said yeah no, I, I mean, I think it's fine because there's enough firearms in my house that I think if anything stop, happened, the kids stop are good. It, stop <laughs> it. Stop. <laughs> it's funny because, like, I feel like someone who doesn't know you immediately would be like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, yes, Dan Bruce just walking around going, pow, pow, pow. He's just, yeah. he's he just keeps it on him. He, he keeps that thing on him. He, yeah. He's pulling out the whip, uh, yeah. out the hip. <laughs> <laughs> no, um... But it was crazy. I mean, every time that happens, I think to myself, like, there's no way I could do this if I was single. There's no way. Like, oh. I would just have to get a different job. You know? Power couple of the, of the, where do you live? I don't, I don't know. I was going to say of Cuyahoga County, but I don't know where you live. Yeah. I mean, that's the county. All right. Yeah. Power couple of Cuyahoga County. I don't, I just learned how to say that the other week from Teresa May. Because Coya? Wow. Is it Coya? What know. is it? Oh no! I'm sure I say the white person version. That's is just it like, ca- it's, ca- 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 
It's Cuyahoga, man. Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga. I don't know, man. I, I'm from Beaver County, Pennsylvania. It's a word. So, like, I'm just, it's an English word. Uh, Cuyahoga, I'm assuming, is Native American. I can't think of a funny joke, but yes. <laughs> the pause made me think that we disconnected. I was like, oh, no, I lost him. I can't think of a joke. Uh, what, no. uh, what were we talking? Yeah. We were talking about, yeah, uh, balancing life and family. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and and so, some of that is what brought us back here because in Chicago we ha- we had no external family around. No, uh, you know, it was just us. And once we had the three kids, it was like we were killing ourselves. You know, because especially the young kids, like they're sick every other day. So one of us is having to stay home. I was teaching full time at that point and I was still gigging like four nights a week. I was just barely sleeping at that point. And it was like, I'm going to have a heart attack in a few years, I think. And when she got the job offer here, it was kind of like, we can probably chill a little bit. And I think she knows I traded a little bit on like, you know, an amazing music scene in Chicago and Cleveland's great. But, you know, it's just not the size and doesn't have right. Yeah, it's not the population density. Yeah. But like what's beautiful is she has a huge family here. They're great. So we have like built in babysitters. She knows she has support. So if I'm like, I just got called for this thing for two weeks out of town. She's like, I'm sure we can figure it out. Whereas in Chicago, she would just be like, I did a couple things in Chicago and I came home and she just looked like pale and like she was about to like pass out. And I was like, I'm sorry. I just felt so guilty. Yeah, like, I love you so much. (laughs) Thank you. of your well the like the beginning of your post high school life and slash beginning of your artistic life uh and uh this question came up earlier but like what is a piece of advice that you would give to your younger self or a piece of advice you give to someone wanting to do what you do as like a guitarist composer uh i think um I have two things and they, I think they might seem like they don't really go together, but um, the one is like dig in as much as you can, like put as much of yourself into what your teachers are telling you and just be like as hungry as possible. And don't, I don't want to say don't question it, but like we were saying before, like I, and I see students that do this. You you kind of let yourself off the hook if you're kind of like, well, that's not my thing. And yeah. students love to be like, oh, man, that like, you know, the old like Duke Ellington stuff, that's not my thing. I'm more into like, 
Chikria and you know what like people will split hairs about what their thing is when like when you're really honest with yourself and this was me as a student I was just letting myself off the hook of like really doing the work at that point or like you know I was just not mature enough to be like well it doesn't hit me right away so I'm just gonna move on I'm not gonna like dig into it whereas now I'm like Duke Ellington's like some of the most amazing music I've ever heard and I wish I I wish my ears were a little more in tune with the colors and yeah. stuff like that. so there's so one part of it is just for the most part trust them you know i mean there's some teachers you know email me i'll tell you who not to trust but um <laughs> no <laughs> but but you know if you're going somewhere and people have recommended them and you know them like just trust them even if you're not like that happy about what they're telling you to do because to this you know like right now it's like i my my students go and see me and half the time I have like distortion on and I'm playing all this crazy stuff, but then I'm forcing them to transcribe like Charlie Parker solos and put them in all keys. And yeah. They're, and they're, they're like, like, yeah, but I'm studying with you, man. I want to wail. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, but like I've grown up now, so I'm going to force you to do this. And, and then like, you know, the next solo, I'll let them do whatever, but it's, 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 and I was very respectful. I wasn't like my teachers don't know what they're saying, but I just don't think I really bought it internally. And now I'm kind of like, I feel like there are holes and the holes are not just like, Oh, I should just know more of that stuff. It's like things very personally with my playing. Like I am still really bugged by some of my lack of like really precise rhythmic attack in my lines. <clears throat> and some of that's my technique and some of that I want it to be that way. Cause I actually like playing and having it sound a little more like, like a horn player. Like you're not getting like the pick really yeah. hard, but the other side of that is like, I feel like some of my lines sound rhythmically mushy when there's a lot of attack or when there could be a lot of attack. <clears throat> and it's like, to me, that's like, just you listen to like Freddie Hubbard and you're just like, yeah, damn, I should have spent more time like transcribing this, you know. That's and one thing like, I I need to do. I need to I need to step out of uh sax land and start transcribing just like more people in general. Yeah. Well, I, I like- mean, I think when I ask people now about transcribing, I don't really ask them I try not to really ask them about people. I ask them about parts of my playing I want to get better at. And then people will just say like, oh man, you should do. And that's how I try and talk to my students. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, oh, you want to, you want to have more angular lines. You want to get more comfortable with wide intervals. You want to just get like some serious bebop down. You want like more rhythm clarity, like, and just have some names. Like, I feel like that's, that's what teachers like. It's also like, I'm also real big now on trying to link everything to like listening and transcribing and just Mm -hmm. getting them not to like get away from your real book, get away from my real pro, get away from the page. Like just like trying to make it less quote unquote academic yeah, and just make it more about the ears. Cause I think that's a, that's another like, um, so that's one side of it is because because and i'm having a lot of fun doing it now and i i you know i think i'm fine i'm not like oh so because this but i'm like i i i hear parker lines or freddie hubbard or certain people and i'm like i want more of that mm-hmm. and not necessarily stylistically but just i know it'll help aspects of my playing even if i'm playing some fusion whatever 
So I'm excited to do it now. I just think I could have been doing it all this time. <laughs> um, and then the, the maybe opposite answer, I don't know if it's really the opposite, but is don't lose yourself in academia. And I think that I, um, my personality is to be such a rule follower and like just kind of please my teachers. So like I work myself to death trying to get this stuff done and, and get it to know it. And, and, and that was good for school. Um, but especially going to kind of a conservative program, it took me or has taken me like years to kind of get back to like, I would mostly call myself a jazz guitarist at this point, And I, I play all styles. Like I love playing duo with a vocalist, like super straight ahead and just playing the bass lines and, and trying to sound like Joe pass or whatever. And yeah. I, I, all the way through to all the pedals and everything else. But, um, I feel like the way jazz was, what do I want to say, uh, held up to me as a student was kind of that I had to get rid of what I was doing and start learning jazz. And I went through the whole thing. I think a lot of students do where I was like a jazz snob and rock mm -hmm. is easy and all this stuff. And now this is the more complicated music and this and that. And even like once I got out of that mind space, I think that my playing was still very like polite and it wasn't, I wasn't still, I, I wasn't really keying into like the guitarist I originally was, or I, it took me a very long time to kind of pair the two. Like yeah. really maybe in the last few years, I've been way more comfortable just like, I think this solo should sound like this and I just do it, you know? That's a very so, interesting thing. It's almost like uh, Picasso learning how to paint like Picasso, like studies the masters and does all this stuff. And then he comes back to like painting. He paints more, not paints like he painted when he was a child, because that sounds like infantilizing, but like returns more to the childlike wonder that they had about painting. And, exactly. And, and doesn't like necessarily like hold it up on a giant pedestal. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think I, I mean, it's easy to complain about academia and I'm in it. <laughs> right. I, I really, most, so much of my talks with students are telling them like, don't do it like this just because you're in a program and it feels like it should be this way. Like you should be, basically you should be doing everything I say at 150% and, and, using it to like bolster your curiosity. Like I love the students that do exactly what I say and then come back and they're like, Hey, and then I also so-and-so that you made me check out is on these records. And that got me into this. And I started transcribing that or, you know, like they, yeah. it's like, I shouldn't be telling you what to do. I should just be like checking out what you're doing. Cause you're so curious and hungry and maybe pushing you in little directions. Like, Oh, maybe this would be cool. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like also if, if a student, is working on one thing only the entire time, like just what their teacher says the entire time. 
it was like who does that in school anyways but, but like yeah. what, what other schooling works like that you, you're learning so many things at once and you should be yeah learning but, so many things at once but i really feel like the point of it and it, i mean so many people say this it's nothing new but it's like to ingrain it as much as absolutely possible for years so that you can forget it yeah and then the parts of it that will come up will be way more instinctual and way more colored by you than if you're like thinking while you're playing or writing. Yeah. And uh, that, that's taken me a really long time. Like, I really think that's just in the last couple of years that, that I'm starting to do that. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to get there eventually. That's (laughs) I like, I like the mindset. So like, hopefully I'll get there where I'm just like not trying to be the, a person and just be me. But uh, <laughs> nice, yeah. Um, and, and it's actually done cool things for my writing because I I do a lot now where I don't. I I just write down what I hear, and I don't I don't put any time signature on it. I don't put any key signature. I don't try to think like, oh well, this could develop into this. I just write it out. And and I have a, a number of tunes where like. I either had to come back later and kind of give it chord symbols if there were points where it needed it or there's just no chord symbols and if somebody's going to need to play harmony i i wrote out a few different things that would work yeah because because i don't know what they are because i'm just time, doing like, it completely by ear the time to mind the mystics tune that i was listening to earlier today um and i, I one it's just like is it through composed because i'm listening to it like at the, well at least the until people start soloing, because I'm listening to it, and I'm just like, it's just going to keep going. So, like, it's like that, this 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 thought where you're just, like, not endless streams, but, like, you're just, it's like, the streams of melody that come out of these different, and it just heads in a different section. And, like, rather than going back to repeated material, it's like, all right, now we're going into this. And it's, I don't know, it's just, like, a different way of writing that, than I ever really do so like i always like when i hear people do it yeah um well that one it's like i yeah that one started that the kind of weird like angular melody that i play with the saxophone the like Mm -hmm. that's that thing where i just heard that and then i was like i i kept trying to put it in a box and be like well could i do and it kept kind of ruining it and i was like yeah am i doing this like that is what it is. And I'm just going to repeat it a bunch of times. And then I, then I just started figuring out if there was harmony that would work under it, that would, that, that the harmonic uh, rhythm would work trying to figure out like what chords could I play that I could hold long enough that the melody's actually going to work. Cause there's so many, the melody kind of jumps around enough that it's really hard to get one sound underneath it. But then it just kind of worked out where I was able to get a chord progression. And then because the melody keeps repeating, uh, the chord progression keeps changing under it. Yeah. And then the things I try and do to make it not just sound like I randomly just kept writing whatever came to mind is like, there's a lot of like, like when we start doing that arpeggiated thing right after that section and the, Mm -hmm. and the trombone and stuff are playing the melody, um, a lot of those are coming out of the chords that were under us for the section right before that. Uh, I'll take intervals from that main melody. I'll do the thing where the main melody contains all the intervals that make up all the bass movement for the rest of the piece. Yeah. Or, okay. 
or the harmony. So I try and give it things that will hopefully like hold it together. Um, but then I don't worry about, I don't worry about bringing back stuff unless it makes sense, I guess, you know, yes. and we, get, we get back to the head out. It's just in a different key and a different feel with different people playing the melody. <laughs> it's, it's, we get back to the melody. It's just not yeah. the way you, you heard it the first time. Yeah. So I don't know. That's just, I don't know. And that's why well, I mean, that, like, that's an interesting way of like orchestrating the same material in new ways and then finding new composition from like the old material. Oh, well, yeah. I guess the previously is not old, but like the previously presented material. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I try and do that. The that um that uh the first track on um Earthshine. Oh, Earthshine. The track Earthshine is that same thing. Like I think I I literally was sitting at the piano and just played like a second and a fourth, which is just a little pentatonic-y sounding thing, and then that makes up like most of that melody. I just kept developing it. And then I made most of the bass movement come out of that. And then it just kind of went from there. I feel like when I write like that, that's when it gets, when I get the most, the things that I wouldn't sing right away. Like when I'm in that vibe for a while, it's like, Oh yeah. Like I'm hearing those intervals continuously, blah, blah, blah. But like, if I was going right away and be like, all right, pentatonic stuff. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like an interesting way of like approaching it. Uh, yeah and it's really hard because it's mostly like i'm my instinct is to just force it and just be like oh i got this okay i'm just gonna okay this is great and i never like how that comes out i mean i'll still sometimes write it out because something in there might be useful but so often it's just terrible and um and for me like like the composing in general is like i um I would just liken it to like smacking my head against a wall (laughs) until finally like I break through or I get something because I will, I usually will work on at least two at a time. Cause I've also learned that if I hit, if I hit an organic wall, if something's working for a while and then it just stops, it's that same thing. I don't want to force it. So I'll just flip to the other thing. And I've found that if I have two tunes that are pretty different kind of developing, it's like, I can really just switch, but it keeps me still composing. And it's actually like a breath of fresh air. And then I'll flip back to the other one, like an hour later and be like, Oh, I'm going to do this. They almost like feed each other. But if I just stick to one, it's like, I'm going to force so much of it. that An hour later, you're still at that wall. (laughs) Yeah. Or I'm really far, but then once I hear it with the band, I'm going to throw the whole thing away. Oh yeah. That's, that's never a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so well, that's I kind think, of, I, and I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I wasn't. Gonna, I, I, I was just won't stop. You're like, I think uh, it's time to end. And I'm like, but hey, check <laughs> I like the that's, I mean, that's kind of what I was like. I think, <laughs> I think, um, that's, we're gonna, we're gonna cap it off there. Um, uh, extra musical listeners, uh, can find Dan where online? Like, where can they find you? How do they know uh, how to? The, like we were just talking your social media you're like ah yeah um i mean dambrucemusic.com is the website uh i, I try to update it <laughs> 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 but it's got the, ma- the the important information on there uh and um you know my stuff is on youtube 
uh, I think that it's it's most of it is just Dan Bruce music. Like I think the YouTube things Dan Bruce music, Instagram is Dan Bruce music, mm-hmm. uh, Facebook I think is Dan Bruce music. Um, so yeah, it's all that stuff. I'm not like super great at that stuff. I'm trying, but um, but I mean, there's a lot of videos, and and I'm in enough projects that that a lot of people. A lot of you guys are good at putting stuff up that I'm played on <laughs> or whatever. Like, so, I got to do nothing. Yeah. Uh, the, hopefully listeners are listening the week of this uh, coming out too, because uh, Dan and our friend Chris Coles are going to be on a single uh, that uh, Hidden Cinema Records is putting out of my octet uh, called Tectonic Shift uh, of our upcoming album Elemental. So Dan has like this rock and guitar. And actually the, the single is composed more in the vein of how you compose music, how you were talking about nice. it. So I was like, that's how tectonic shift kind of worked out where I was like <laughs> pedal points, the pedal points only uh, the pedal points stay here for a while. And I sing the melody and it ended up being like mainly what's it called? Uh, augmented was like the sound that kind of happened, but like that's only yeah. for the, the what's it called? The, the solo section for the thing. There are no chords there in our yeah. piano player just had stuff written out because I was like, I'm not, I'm not putting chords to this. Uh, yeah. 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 That's cool. Anyway, anyways. Um, yeah. So thank you for uh, com- uh, coming on the show. Uh, the show. This is a podcast. No one can see us. Thanks for uh, lending your voice to the podcast, Dan. And thank you, uh, listeners, for listening. Peace out. Thank, thank you. Thanks, Stephen. It's been good. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Extra Musical. Extra Musical is a Hidden Cinema Records production. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts and look out for future episodes. Bye for now.